0: First reading tonight is from um, Psalm 119, which is on page 437 of uh, the Bibles that would have been handed to you as you come came in to the church. Um, I'm going to be reading um, two sections um, from verse 33 to 64 and verse 89 to 96. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I'll keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish, selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servants so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How long for your precepts, they preserve my life in your righteousness. May your unfailing love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I will answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Do not snatch the word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law, forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings. and and will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands, because I love them. I lift my hands to your commands, which I love, and I meditate on your decrees. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from your law. I remember your ancient laws, O Lord, for I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked, which have forsaken your law. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. In the night I remember your name, O Lord, and I keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. You are my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight, I, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. I am a friend to all those who fear you, to all those who follow, follow your precepts. The earth is filled with your love, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth, and it endures. Your law endures to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Second reading will be on page 768, which is John chapter 20.
1: John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the stripes, at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself separate from the other linen. Finally the other disciple who who had reached the tomb first went inside, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead then the disciples went back to their homes but Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been one at the head And the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. Woman, he said. Why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for for I have not yet returned to my Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news i have seen the lord and she told them that she had that she that he had said these things to her on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the jews jesus came and stood among them and said Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive any one his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are the Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miracles. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name.
2: Good evening, friends. It's good to be with you. My name's Simon, if you didn't know that before. Uh, I'm one of the student ministers here at church by the bridge. Uh, what that means is I just hang around a lot or here and there, try not to make any mistakes, you know offend too many people, uh, and then I just go home. Uh, that's what I do. Uh, it's great to be with you tonight as we look. I, I don't know if you've been invited along to church tonight. Or if you were reading the the website and you saw that, you know, tonight's talk is kind of along the lines of, "Do I have to lose my mind to be a Christian?" Uh, Maybe that's something you've said to someone before, and they've said, "Hey, there's a talk on at church tonight. Come along and hear whether or not you actually do have to lose your mind to be a Christian." That's the title of tonight's talk: "Do I have to lose my mind to be a Christian?" Uh, I'm going to pray now, as we look at the Scriptures, as I speak, that I might speak faithfully and that we actually might hear God speak to us tonight. Please pray with me as you do. that. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your goodness to us. We praise you above all that you have not stayed silent, uh, but you've spoken to us once and for all in your Son, and Lord, that we have your Scriptures, the Bible, before us tonight to look at, uh, that it tells us about you and how you have worked in this world to save us. Help me to speak faithfully and with power uh, for the sake of our risen Saviour, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. You'd have to be out of your mind to be a Christian. Let me tell you a story. I was at the Opera House uh, last year. Um, I was there to see the opera Tosca. I don't find myself at the opera house very often, nor do I find myself at the opera house watching the opera very often. But I was there uh, and it was a really good night. Act one was fantastic, really good. But by the end of act one, I was in need of a beverage. I needed a drink. Uh, so I went outside. My wife at the time was heavily pregnant. She stayed in the seat in the theatre. I walked up the back. You know and there's that beautiful spectacular part where you get to sort of have, I was having a glass of water, overlooking the, set, you know, the, the harbour, the twinkling lights across the harbour. It was a spectacular moment. Anyway, I'm there on my own, you know, interval goes for a little while, I'm there on my own kind of, and I got a little bit over watching the, the boats going to and fro on the harbour, and actually standing to my left, sort of a few feet to my left, was a man doing what I was doing, not much. Uh, lonely, you know, bit, you know, a bit tired after Act 1, and so what did I do, you know? slightly socially awkwardly, I just wandered over to him and I sort of sidled up alongside him and sort of said, so, what would you think of act one? And he just about jumped, it was hilarious. He just sort of jumped across and said, like, my goodness, what are you doing to me? We got over that and actually sort of talked very briefly about act one because neither of us knew much about opera and it was in another language as well, so that didn't help much at all. So we we're, were sort of talking and then I got to know him, he was, his name was David. Uh, he got to know that I was Simon and I said to him, you know, that socially padded question, so David, what do you do? And he said, I'm an engineer. I'm a structural engineer and I work in the CBD and I was, quite, I was quite impressed with that, you know. don't really know what he did but it sounded pretty impressive. And then we talked about that for a little bit and then he kind of said to me the dreaded question that he was going to ask me, he said, so Simon, what do you do? So I stood there bravely, puffed out my chest and said, I'm a Bible college student. And he said to me, you're what? <laughs> and I said, I'm a Bible college student. And he goes, hang on, hang on. That means, that means that you must be a Christian. And I said, yes, I am a Christian. And then he said this thing straight into my eyes. I remember it quite vividly. He said, Simon, you'd have to be out of your mind to be a Christian in this day and age. To which I yet again puffed out my chest and said, no, you don't. And then thankfully that bell rang and we had to go in for act two. It was a brilliant <laughs> moment. I didn't have to stand there and defend myself. It was fantastic. He said, you'd have to be out of your mind. And it was something that sort of, I did listen to the rest of the opera, but it was something that sort of sat in my mind for the rest of the time. He said, you'd have to be out of your mind to be a Christian. And I think it's actually, it wasn't just David who thinks like that. I think it's mo- the majority of our culture, our, the people we live with, the people we work next to, hold that idea that you'd have to be out of your mind you can't be a modern thinking person living in Sydney in 2011 and believe in Jesus at the same time. They just don't go together. That, and I think that's what most people in our city, most of what we know, think like. You would have to be out of your mind to be a Christian and, and think that you're also a modern thinking person at the same time. It's the accusation that does abound in our culture. And I think people, as I think about that, I think people are really heavily influenced by the movement of the new atheists uh, led by Richard Dawkins and his friends who basically say, and this is Dawkins, I quote Dawkins, Dawkins says, Faith, any kind of faith, faith is blind, get, get these words, blind trust in the teeth of all the evidence. Faith in Jesus, faith in anything, is blind trust in the teeth of all the evidence. And he then extends that in his book, The God Delusion, which some of you might have read, to say that, therefore, as a consequence of that, believing on Jesus Christ is about as plausible as trusting in Father Christmas or the fairies at the bottom of your backyard. That's what he says. I'm sorry if you did come here tonight thinking Father Christmas was real. Um, (laughs) We can talk about that later. That's what he says. You know, you can't be a modern thinking person, says Richard Dawkins, and then believe in Jesus at the same time. It is about as plausible as believing in the fairies at the bottom of your backyard. And as a result of that, I think as a consequence of that, that voice that rings out in society, people go, well, what's the point of looking at Christianity at all? If it's sort of if I have to screw my head off, stick it under the chair to consider about Christianity, sort of switch off my brain, well, I'm not even going to bother. I remember there was a study done at the University of New South Wales um, not so long ago where they looked at the number of people who discounted Jesus altogether, uh, who said, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. 98% of those surveyed, there was about 1,000 people surveyed, said, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. Of that 98%, about 95% had never actually read anything about Jesus before. Never read a gospel. Never actually considered the claims of Jesus before. And I think because there's this undercurrent in society that says there's no point. Richard Dawkins, he's a kind of smart cookie, isn't he? He's on TV a lot. He writes a lot. He's he's got a full-time job at Oxford University. That's a pretty cool place to work. So people listen to him. And so Guys like David at the opera house who say, you'd have to be out of your mind to be a Christian, well, kind of, maybe he's onto something. I don't think he's, tr- I don't think he's right. And I want to take him on tonight. I want to take Dawkins on. I'm going to go for them all tonight, okay? I don't think you have to be out of your mind to be a Christian at all. And I want to do it. I want to help us to see this through the eyes of, I, I coin him the patron saint of scepticism, uh, Thomas, who we read of, who we've had read of in John chapter 20. Open your Bibles to John chapter 20 if you have closed them already. Uh, we're going to spend our, most of our time tonight in John chapter 20 verses 24 to the end of the chapter. Did Thomas is collect, you know, well known to us It's probably more like Doubting Thomas. Uh, we might have called people Doubting Thomases before. He's, he has this militantly stubborn position where he will not believe anything unless he's got all the evidence laid out in front of him and here's the first point tonight reasonable doubt come with me to verse 24 chapter 20 now thomas called didymus that means the twin one of the 12 was not with the disciples when jesus came so the other disciples told him we have seen the lord But he said to them, that's Thomas, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. There's Thomas. That that I think is actually reasonable doubt from Thomas at this point in the Gospel. Thomas lays down the triple condition. Unless I can see his hands, put my finger where they drilled the nails through his hands, unless I can shove my fist... Up the side where they put the spear into him, I will never believe. Triple condition unless I get all those things, says Thomas, I'm not going to believe. I, I think Thomas is okay at this point. I think it's fair and a fair request from Thomas. You see at this point, Thomas in the chapter twenty is he's the odd one out in the story of the gospel. All the other disciples have had an interaction with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Have a look with me. Verse 8, John, the writer of this gospel, has seen Jesus and believed that he's alive. Verse 18, Mary reports, I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. Just a week earlier, in verse 20 in the gospel, Thomas was missing when Jesus appeared to the disciples in the midst, and John writes... The disciples, they saw Jesus and they were overjoyed that they saw the Lord. And then in verse 25 in our passage, they keep on telling Thomas, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord. At this point in the chapter, it's all about trusting your sense perception. I've seen Jesus, therefore I'm going to believe that he, you know, I believe him. He's risen from the dead. Clearly at this point in the gospel, Jesus has come into the world as god in flesh he has suffered he has died and now the people went to, in john chapter 20 to the empty tomb jesus has risen from the dead and appeared to the disciples but not yet to thomas and so thomas kind of says you know what i don't care what all you 10 shabby blokes have got to say about the risen jesus i'm not going to believe until i see him for myself that's basically what he says If I can't see him, I'm not going to believe. It's interesting, isn't it? I think this demand for proof puts sort of pay to the lie that, you know, well, you know how we sort of say, well, people in the first century, they're just gullible and naive. They'd believe anything. We had C.S. Lewis quoted us a bit earlier. C.S. Lewis calls that attitude chronological snobbery, to think that because, well, you know, we're a bit more sophisticated now 2,000 years down the track, You know, we wouldn't believe what those naive, sort of ignorant people would believe. But I've checked the stats, right? The mortality rate back in the first century AD is exactly the same as the mortality rate today. The percentage of people that stay dead when they die back in the first century AD is actually the same as today. For Thomas, dead people don't come back to life again. It's an experience that we can share as well, isn't it? It's interesting, in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 24, when the reports of Jesus, kind of his resurrection come through, people almost respond, well, they say, that's nonsense. No one comes back to life again. I've seen it for myself. And that's, I think that's our experience as well, isn't it? Our normal experience isn't for dead people to come back to life again. And that's what Thomas is saying. Look, I haven't seen him yet. I haven't seen him risen from the dead. I want to see him for myself. Because maybe Thomas had been right there at that first Easter when they flogged Jesus, when he was scourged, when he was spat on, when he was nailed to a Roman cross. Maybe Thomas was right there when they shoved that spear into the side of Jesus' chest and blood and water came out from his body. Maybe Thomas was there when they took Jesus' limp, dead body down off the cross, wrapped it, took it, following the the burial ritual and then put it into the tomb and rolled the massive stone over the tomb. Maybe he was there for all of that. And he knew dead people just don't rise. Therefore, when he heard these reports that Jesus was in fact back from the dead, risen, alive, there was no way he'd be taken in. No way. And there are many like Thomas today. Many like Thomas. I had the privilege, I actually don't think it was a privilege in the end, I had the privilege of being in a debate or debating the president of the New South Wales Skeptics Association one night on a mission. It was a terrible night. Um, the, the, you know, the debate just sort of spiraled into an absolute disaster. But at one point, the, the, the guy, the, the, the president of the Skeptics Association said to me, Simon, look, I really, I'd like to believe. I'd like to believe and have your faith. But I just, I just want one thing. I'm not asking for too much, he said. Not asking for too much. Just one scientifically verifiable, unbelievable miracle. That'll do. And then I'll believe. I was like, it's a, it's a tall order, you know, I'm not sure if I can do that. He said, look, it doesn't even have to be a big one, he said. Just pray now that God would heal a child suffering from cancer at Westmead Children's Hospital. And if you can prove that because of your prayer, God miraculously healed this child, and the medicos can sort of say, yep, definitely, it was a miracle, we had nothing to do with it, then I'll believe. You know, at one point that sounds kind of reasonable. Give me some extra evidence, then I'll believe. Show me something, you know, dramatic, and, and then I'll believe. But in that case, and in the case of Thomas, it's not that it's not how someone is responding to the evidence that they've been given to this point. These these disciples are saying, We've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord. It's that they're asking for the well evidence that can't be provided. Thomas has reasonable doubt at this point. He wants to see the risen Lord Jesus Christ for himself. And Come with me to the text, verse 26, where we move from reasonable doubt to persuasive evidence. Here in verse 26, we, we cut to a new scene in the gospel. We're, in the, we're, we're a week later down the track, and actually Thomas is here this time. Thomas is in the room. I don't know, I'd love to know what Thomas was thinking during that week. I reckon, you know. All these guys are running around saying, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas is going, told you, dead guys don't rise. I haven't seen him. Where is he? Have a look with me, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out. Put your hand into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Incontrovertible, tangible scientific evidence. There's no denying that Jesus had died and therefore he was dead. That's undeniable. But as he stood, as Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, stood there in front of Thomas in that room on that day a week later, there was no denying that Jesus had physically risen from the dead again. Notice Jesus didn't say to Thomas, and it's interesting, isn't it? He, he makes a beeline for Thomas. He didn't say to Thomas, hey, Thomas, stop thinking and believe. Just unscrew your head and then believe. He says, stop doubting and believe he said "Thomas I'm here perform all the tests that you want touch me you know come over to me put your hands up my put your hand your fist in my side I'm alive thomas had seen all the miracles that jesus had performed no doubt on many of them through the course of the ministry of jesus seen jesus feed thousands. seen jesus Calm a storm with a word on the boat. Seen him raise others from the dead. But now it was with Jesus standing right in front of him, undeniably, irrefutably, uncontestably risen from the dead, that Thomas utters the confession that John, the writer of this gospel, and Jesus himself wants us all to make. This confession, did you catch it? Verse 28. Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. Jesus suffered on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. The consequence of sin is death. Yet Jesus, paying for the sins of the world, then rises to new life, that those who believe in him may also have the hope of eternal life as well. And so Thomas cries out, Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my God. But for me, as we think about this sort of topic of, you are, you know, you've got to be out of your mind to be a Christian, what's interesting, I think, is what Jesus says to Thomas in verse 29. Thomas kind of gets a bit of a rebuke from Jesus. Jesus kind of chides Thomas for even needing it. Have a look, verse 29. Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In other words, you've believed, Thomas, because you've seen me, because you've touched me, because you've had an interaction physically with me. But, Thomas, you really didn't need it. You didn't need that. You know, these ten shabby blokes over here, Mary. They're trusted friends of yours. You've spent years with them. They've walked with you. They've talked with you. They've encouraged you. You should have trusted them. When they said, we've seen the Lord, rather than doubt, Thomas, you should have said, that's amazing news. Yes, my experience of life is that dead people don't rise again, but that's amazing news. I trust you, these 10 shabby blokes. And Jesus wants us to take the same, do the same thing that Thomas has done. It's confess that Jesus is Lord and our God. And have a look what John, the author of this gospel, writes in verse 30. Uh, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which aren't recorded in this book. But what is recorded in this book, John's gospel, what is recorded that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Like Thomas, during that very first Easter, we haven't seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I haven't. But like Thomas, we have access to the reliable eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And we ought to trust them. These are historically reliable documents attested to by historians throughout the ages that these are true faithful accounts of the life of Jesus Christ. And we have these accounts right in front of us today to read, to trust, to believe. I wonder if you're here tonight and you're one of those sort of University of New South Wales people who've said, no, I don't believe in Jesus. No, But you're also the person who's actually ticked the box and said, but I've never read anything about him before. Wouldn't you want to actually make an informed decision about who Jesus really is, what he's really done, why he's worth trusting? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed upon the reliable eyewitness accounts given to us by God in our Bible. When you think about life, life, my life is full of things that I believe upon because I believe that credible people have written things down pretty much contemporary to the time. I wasn't there at World War II when the Holocaust happened, the atrocity against the Jewish people, but I believe it actually happened because I've read personal accounts of people who suffered at that time. I've read reliable historians who have painted the picture and I believe that it was true. When someone investigates Christianity, which if you're here tonight and you're still investigating, please do. That's why we've got Simply Christianity running. Investigate it. I don't expect if you go to Simply Christianity and whoever runs Simply Christianity is not going to expect you to come to the door and say, oh, can you just take your head off or take your brain out? We don't want you to use that because, well, faith's not about engaging your brain. No, no, we want to say keep it on and engage with the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. When you evaluate the Christian faith seriously, you do it by investigating the eyewitness accounts for us in the Gospels. I come from Adelaide. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing around here. I come from Adelaide. It's way off in the West. Not much happens in Adelaide, to be honest. Um, I don't know why I've turned out to be such a you know, great kind of guy because, you know, not, no, 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 I'm just joking. I'm not a great kind of guy. But Adelaide's a pretty quiet kind of place, a bit sleepy. They call it a big country town. So imagine when two pandas arrive in Adelaide. Imagine the absolute consternation and uproar when two pandas fly in from Japan and lob at the Adelaide Zoo. Adelaide went wild, can I just say. And if you haven't been to Adelaide and if you think, well, there's nothing there, there are two pandas worth viewing, let me tell you. (laughs) So much so that when you actually... At the time when the pandas, this is quite sad, I'm sorry about this. When the pandas arrived in Adelaide, you would, um, I don't know if the pandas saw this as well, but when the pandas got, when, when the pandas got off the plane, when, we, when you got off the plane in Adelaide to, when I went to visit the family, you're confronted with this like 20 foot high panda at the airport. Like it's wild and then everywhere you go, every street you drive down, there's a panda over here, there's a panda picture here, there's pandas to buy, you know. I think the Christmas bear at May in Adelaide was probably taken over by a panda or something like that that year. I don't know. But these pandas came out and apparently I, I called my mum. Even my parents, who've never been to the zoo, went to see the panda. I think there's a million people who live in Adelaide. I think about 999,000 people have gone to see these pandas. It's pretty sad. My mum and dad went down to see the pandas. They called me up one night and said, Simon, we've been to see the pandas. And I was like, woo, that's awesome that's great and you know what what they're there for Simon there's a male panda and there's a female panda what the plan is I want to try and help these kind of pandas get to know each other a bit better kind of get them to snuggle up at night and you know have some fun and maybe create little pandas we're not going to go into how all that happens but that's the idea and I'm like wow that's that's really good news mum that's great anything else going on you know I believed mum's testimony that pandas actually existed in Adelaide, two pandas, male and female, and what they were there to do. What if I'd actually got on the phone that night and said to mum, nice story mum, but look, I don't really believe in the existence of pandas. Pandas aren't real, they're they're imaginary creatures. You know, and all the evidence you're providing for me about the fact that they really do, you know, mate and make little pandas, yeah, it's, I'm glad, I'm glad you've got faith in pandas, Mum. But let me tell you, Mum, if, I, I want to believe, I want to believe that pandas really exist. So what, what I want you to do, can you fly one of the pandas to Sydney, have him come round to my house, cook some snags on the barbie, mix a few cocktails, tell me a few stories of what it's like to be a panda overseas and that sort of stuff, and then I'll believe that pandas really exist. I mean, it's a fatuous example, isn't it? A panda can't cook sausages. They can probably do other things, but they can't cook sausages. It's the same with Jesus, isn't it? I mean, I think if I'd said that to my mum, she would have said, well, I think you've lost the plot. It's the same with Jesus when we sort of think, well, if only Jesus would just do something else, then I'll believe in him. If only he would write in the sky. Actually, if only Jesus would come round to my house, cook some snags on the barbie, shake me up a few cocktails and tell me a few stories about life in first century Palestine, then I would believe. We're actually asking for a whole level of evidence that we actually can't get. But what we have in the Bible, in the Gospels is a reliable account of the life of Jesus Christ. His life, his ministry, his miracles, the things he said, his death, his resurrection. You know that phrase that people say, oh, I'm open-minded to Christianity. If only, well, yeah, if only Jesus would write my name in the sky, then I'd believe. God has revealed himself clearly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we have that revelation for us in the scriptures before us tonight. In our hands, we can access that reliable history of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't have a need to ask for a whole other level of evidence which cannot simply be provided. I think, actually, if you do come to me and say, look, Simon, if, you know, if only Jesus... I'm, I, you know, I know, thanks for the nice little neat story about Jesus you've got in your Bible, but if only Jesus would come around and make, have a barbecue, tell me some tales, then I would believe. I actually don't think it's the Christian or myself who's lost my mind. I actually think the person who doesn't trust in Jesus has lost their mind. I think that's an entirely sub-intellectual approach to Jesus by discounting all the evidence that we have, looking for some other evidence that actually can't be provided. So where have we come? We've come from doubt, reasonable doubt, wanting evidence, seeking evidence, through to Jesus himself coming to Thomas and providing tangible, real evidence of his resurrected body, his physical body to Thomas. And Thomas then cries out that beautiful confession, Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my God. Where are you on that journey tonight? Are you still doubting? Do you still doubt that Jesus was really real, that he was really historical, that he was really part of this world? Friends, there's no need to doubt. We have the reliable eyewitness accounts of the Lord Jesus and his life. And I encourage you tonight, if you if you haven't read the gospel, read it. Uh, at the church here, at Church of the we've got heaps of copies of this book, The Essential Jesus. Can I encourage you to take home a copy of it? It's free. Uh, take home a copy of it tonight. If you're a Christian here tonight and you know someone who is doubting the Christian faith, please take a copy home and give it to them this Easter. It would be much better than a bit of chocolate. Take it home. Give it to that person. Sit down. Actually even read it with someone. That someone might actually not be in that 95% of people who'd never read about Jesus before. Take it home tonight. Perhaps you're one person who's actually engaged with the evidence but you you don't know what it means. Come along to simply Christianity. Hear it. Hear it again. Think about it. See what Jesus actually, who Jesus really is and what he means for the world. It's a trustworthy saying that Jesus Christ came into the world to die for sinners. I really hope that you will engage with the evidence and ask questions. That's what you can do at Simply Christianity. But perhaps you're here tonight, in a crowd this large, perhaps we're here tonight and you've come to realise that Jesus is a true character of history and that he is your Lord and your god and that you want to do like thomas with with basically just confess tonight jesus i i get who you are i get that you've died for my sins i get that you've risen so that i may have life and life in your name to the full and you want to commit your life to jesus tonight then do it tonight tonight's a great night to confess that jesus is your lord and your savior that he died for your sins The death and resurrection of Jesus was a unique event. And by unique means it won't be repeated again. Yes, this Easter we'll remember it. We'll celebrate it for all its greatness that Jesus died for the sins of the world, rose that we might through faith have eternal life. But it's a unique event. Adele and I, my wife and I, have just had our first baby. Uh, She's 11 weeks old. I imagine on the day that my wife was in labour about to give birth to the baby, I sort of just, you know, had a moment where I just sort of would step out of the room just to quickly call family and provide an update. And I'd jump out of the room on the phone to Mum, got over the pandas and we're on to the baby birth and everything's going okay, Mum, yeah, we're all good. And then I sort of dart back into the room, oh my like, goodness, the baby's been born already. It's a unique event. Imagine if that was what happened. I can't exactly go in there, hey, 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 come on. I missed it. Can we just do it again? Can we push the baby back inside and then I'll get some happy snaps? And you know, I want to get happy snaps, but can we just get some, you know, I want to see it again. It's a, it's a unique event. It's unrepeatable. And that's the life and time of Jesus. I, would, I really would love it if Jesus would come back, if I was there 2,000 years ago, kicking a soccer ball around the fields of Palestine, having a chat about life, hearing about that he was the saviour of the world. That would be great, but it, it won't happen. But friends we gain life in jesus name by trusting the gospel by trusting the account of jesus life and by believing in these accounts that jesus really was who he said he was that he was god that he had the ability to forgive sins that he was the lord of the universe by being able to take his life up again friends will you trust in him Christian brother or sister, will you trust that this is reliable and therefore sit down with your family and friends and read the gospel with them? Praying that God would soften their heart and they would receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour? Will you do that? And friend, tonight if you don't trust in Jesus, can I implore you to trust in him? Put your life in Jesus' hands. There's nothing better you could do in this week leading up to Easter than to trust Jesus and then for celebrate his death and resurrection. For Jesus, in Jesus, you will gain life, eternal life, friendship with God forever. Stop doubting and believe and confess that Jesus is your Lord and your God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for sending your son, your one and only son, into the world. Thank you that he died. Thank you that as he died and hung on that cross, he took upon himself the punishment for our sins, our rejection of you. And Father, we praise you with words that we cannot express. We praise you that Jesus rose triumphantly from the grave and defeated death once and for all. And that we, by faith, by trusting in him and him alone, with empty hands, can have life in his name. So, Father, continue to do your work in us. Cause us to trust you more this night and to give you all the glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.